0: 57 Chevy with a hillbilly band Had a little honky-tonk filled with one-night stands Take a telly on fire with a gonzo steel Living dark house space just to seal the deal Yeah, top 40 country better watch your back cause this hot rod's faster than your Cadillac
1: businesses have an opportunity to help bring life, not only to the employees, not only the communities, but to the world if done correctly. And that idea of spirituality fits into this because I believe practices like yoga, practices like meditation and mindfulness, and even other things in the positive psychology world called appreciative inquiry, really help to bring a sense of life in a spiritual way to individuals and the whole organization. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the world of business to be a positive change versus, you know, how it's viewed in modern time as uh, sometimes closed off, greedy, dog eat dog kind of world. New love
2: Welcome to the Sacred Speaks podcast. I'm your host, John Price. Uh, the word that's in my mind as I begin this today is organic, and this uh, today's conversation, but also this this episode, really speaks to that. Two main reasons: the first is the uh, the participant, of course, and the second is the music. So I'll start with the participant. So this today's conversation is with Henry Richardson. He's Um, an old friend. I I grew up with him and um, hence the organic piece. I I know his story and I know what he's created in his life. And I was eager to chat with him and help kind of break apart and break open some of the structures that not only exist in his business, but exist in his life that help him uh, pursue his own purpose. And we'll, we'll start there. So Henry created a define body and mind it's a health and wellness community that really looks to integrate a body-mind concept and part of what he's doing is has built a sustainable health and wellness community and his story which you'll learn so I won't go into it much now he was a gymnast from three years old he then became a diver and was then an all-american diver in college and in college sustained an injury that had him questioning what uh, what he wanted to do in his life and what he did was integrate all those aspects of his life and apply them in a business model and now he helps people achieve their f- physical and mental goals uh, for strength and health and wellness so he's he's a fascinating guy and and I, I was eager to talk to him. Um, it it was a success in that he held, I read his thesis and we talked about some of the kind of more academic and structural components of a business, but it's all within the narrative of his story. And I think it's incredibly rich and informative. And I know after this conversation, I felt eager to kind of look at some of my own choices and try to evaluate um the scope and the intention and um my relationship to um not only business but um but my daily living uh okay you'll you'll get the full story um so if you look up definebody.com you'll find all the information about what it is he does and what his businesses he's the CEO of Defined Body and they now have 23 facilities across the US and one in Dubai and it's it's been growing it's been growing he's been open for 9 years and it's been a a pretty fascinating growth to watch the other organic piece to uh, today's episode is the choice of music as you heard earlier there's a there's a song called "Hot Rod Country" by an old friend, John Evans, and and I was I was doing an organic thing here, so I was thinking about Henry growing up in Houston, and I'm I grew up in Houston, I live here in Houston, and uh, when I think about Houston music, I was immediately thinking about my old friend John Evans. So I've I've got three songs to play. I want to play you one right now. Uh, the first one is "Hot Rod Country." You heard that for a second. This was "Instant Society" and. Thematically, it certainly works with uh, the conversation today, so um, I will bring you John Evans in his song, "Instant Society."
0: The brothers in love, but nobody Everybody talks about how it should feel, but nobody feeling nobody. They'd rather feel nothing than feel somebody. nobody.
2: I had somebody recently listen to an episode of the podcast and they told me it was like an altered state. You know, I guess, uh, you know, Tom Cheatham a few episodes ago said he wanted to write a book. Uh, The advice that he was given is that he wanted to, he should write the book that he wants to read. So I I guess I'm just creating the. (laughs) <laughs> the, the 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 podcast that i'd want to listen to um and i would want some not just a conversation the whole time i'd want some uh some texture so hence the reason why i'm bringing music each of these episodes john evans uh he's an old old friend from 20 years ago back when i was playing in the texas music scene and I really like hearing this song. It comes off an album, Polyester, and uh, it, it's called Instant Society. At the end of the, the conversation today, you'll hear another John Evans song from that album called Dust Bowl. And I, I, these two songs I've been listening to a lot in preparation, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to bring them. Uh, okay, John Evans Band. Go to John Evans Band, J-O-H-N-E-V-A-N-S-B-A-N-D, johnevansband.com, and you can get information on him. I will leave uh, links in the liner notes of the podcast. Uh, any other notes? No, nah, just grateful. Just gratitude to uh, to Henry. Thanks a lot for sitting down. Thanks a lot for teaching me. It was great to read your thesis, and um, it, it was wonderful to share this conversation. Uh, okay, the theme music of the podcast is from Modern Nations. Check them out at modernnationsmusic.com. You can check out this, uh, any information on this podcast at thesacredspeaks.com. It's also searchable on um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and uh, pass it along and think about, uh, think about anybody you'd like that, or, you know, you know, that would similarly be interested in listening to content like this and and pass it along. Thank you for listening. This is a, this is fun. So I'm grateful. I'll bring you the conversation and, uh, until next time, we'll leave it there. all this begin for you.
1: Yeah. This is exciting. Well, it's good to be with you, John. <laughs> I think it's important for the us to know that you and I have a history too. We do. You know? I mean, I, I've known you since, I mean, we rode the same school bus together, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> so we've known each other a really long time. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I am, um, so being from Houston, I think it's really fun to kind of reflect on how I got where I am right now. You know because uh, I am a CEO, right? I have a business, I am a father, I have a lot of various responsibilities, but it all comes down to what gives me inspiration, you know what gives me life and I always think about this notion of of what is giving life and even what is depleting life, and each one of us is so unique and so different. so when I was younger, I always had this desire to express myself just like everyone does but for me it was through sports it was through not traditional sports of you know football baseball basketball it was through gymnastics and um, then turned into swimming and then I combined the two together and started becoming a springboard platform diver and I was a really uh a uh, naive swimmer because I was watching the divers at the other end of the pool, and I was just like, "Oh man, that looks like so much fun." That's where the action is. That's, That's where fun. the action is. And it's a lot more fun than just staring down at this lane the whole time, right? So I ended up going over to the diving coach and and just asking him if I could could try out, and uh, you know, he's like, uh, "Sure, <laughs> why not?" So I ended up doing a dive and I was a gymnast, so I thought I could do some stuff and I could, I could do like a flip or something, but he kind of just like looked at me, he was like, no, 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 start over, try this. And so being open and receptive to his feedback, I think was all he was looking for. So that I implemented a little bit of what he was trying to give me. And I think that honestly in my, uh, now reflecting over the past now 30 plus years that I was you know, a diver when I started, i i think that's what made me successful and i think that also is what gave me some success in business too is is that notion of feedback that notion of just trying to evolve and grow so when i was in diving i um i i it was a passion of mine right i I think about diving like the being a 12 year old standing on top of a 10 meter platform and like doing your first dive up there like my son is eight I'm like never going to let him do that. (laughs) You know, I don't know what my parents were thinking. But I ended up having such this sense of purpose and meaning just by challenging myself. So I have a video of my very first like real dive off of the 10 meter platform. And it was uh, a video of your first dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first real dive. Like, like, so you jump and you do a couple little things, but then your first real dive is something that. You know, you practice for, you practice on the five meter, you then go up to the seven and a half meter and then you ultimately do it up onto the 10 meter, right? And so I'm talking about diving because it really has created the entire outlook of my life and how I perceive my business, how I run my, my life, my day to day, because I have to think of life as this like springboard and you jump and you leap with a full sense of faith or you talk yourself into a frenzy and you get nervous and you mess up. Right. Um, but yeah, I was a diver. I was a diver for a very long time and I injured my back, which has kind of been my narrative.
2: Okay. Wait, don't go there. Yet. Cause I got a lot of questions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I guess my first, and this may be, a, a I'm going to try to be sensitive to not like talk in code. Cause we've known each other for a long time. Right. Um, but I'm interested, you said at 12, uh, you know, you were doing gymnastics way before
1: that. No, right? I started when I was three. Yeah. Right.
2: Okay. Would you talk about that a little bit? I mean, because that's a, a why? Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I know, I'm, I, I know your folks and I'm suspicious that they weren't, you know, gymnasts. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I, I so... How'd that happen?
1: You know, it's funny because I always thought I was adopted. <laughs> no, but my dad was a, a football player, so he was a major yeah. athlete. He was a he was a big athlete, and he's yeah. a big guy. Um, and <laughs> but I always had this very similar drive as my dad. Um, mm-hmm. But I have the frame of my mom's side of the family, like I, I very much like my grandfather. And but actually, uh, this may not even be relevant. But when we went to my grandmother's funeral, they were talking about how she used to set up this like little seesaw thing on this can and this board of wood and she would have her brother jump from the porch onto this and flip her up and she'd do a flip off of it and then she'd go inside and she'd be playing the piano and doing all sorts of stuff and she was an artist and i connected to that so much and i had no idea until her funeral and um it was really really beautiful because actually both my sisters, we were all at the funeral together, right? And they looked at me and they were like, that's you, that's you. And so that was a moment for me where I was like, that's where it came from. And it was from a very deep connection. And I still feel very connected to my mom's mom. And it's, it's been one of those stories. So I started in gymnastics when I was three, because I think my parents didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of energy. I mean, like I teach a lot of classes right now and people wonder how I do all that I do, and it's—I yeah. think it's just innate that I do have excessive energy. Maybe it's nervous energy, whatever it is. But I have learned how to channel it in a very um, somatic way.
2: My thought uh, there is—is um, is, I teach a lot of classes. Yeah. <laughs> the classes you teach are very different. You are full on in right. these classes, so yeah, I get—you
1: know—that that energy is—it's uh, got to go somewhere. Yeah, it has to go somewhere. Channel it some way.
2: Okay, so three years old, they, I can see your parents saying this, but they are like, "Oh my god, we got to get this kid into to do something." Right? He's just like, "What?" Like, what do you imagine they're they're seeing that that you're they're trying to treat?
1: You know, honestly. Um, my mom laughs. She's like, I don't think ADHD was around when we had it right, <laughs> right back then. Right. Um, but she's like, I'm not sure, but I for sure know that there was a lot of activity. So um, I found myself feeling most fulfilled when I had gymnastics to look forward to after school. Yeah. Right? Um, I, my mom actually is so funny. She's so loving and she wanted the best for me in so many ways. She was actually encouraging me not to go to gymnastics practice. She was like, "Just no, hang out with friends. Be social. Do what kids are supposed to do." But I I found a sense of meaning and purpose by hanging out with my friends from gymnastics. And so, you know, in that effort of balancing, um, you know, I really do feel very fortunate that my mom wanted the best for me from a social perspective, but I remember when I was very little thinking, "Oh, life is easy. All you have to do is be good at friends." be good at school and be good at sports. <laughs> like and if you're getting those three facets, then you you're you're doing okay in life. So my parents bought a trampoline for our backyard, <laughs> you know, to make sure that I was when I wasn't there, I was plenty busy. I mean, I asked for like gymnastics equipment for for birthdays and stuff like that. That's how who I was. And I I mean, looking back, I I think it'd be like a I I don't know what to do with this kid, but guess what? We found some sort of outlet that makes him feel alive. And I did that for, um, till I was about in sixth, seventh grade. And then that's when I transitioned from uh, from gymnastics, swimming, and then to diving.
2: Did, did gymnastics stop there? Was it, so you just kind of, the, the energy dissipated?
1: Well, the energy is, so I had a, so my back started bothering me when I was little actually. Oh, yeah, so it started when I was in fifth grade. This um, is
2: foreshadowing. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. Later.
1: Yeah, my back started bothering me in fifth grade and my, um, my mom got worried, right? Because I was starting to feel just tight in my spine and I would complain at, you know, 10 years old that my back was hurting. So she ended up, um, you know, that's when I got more serious into swimming was yeah. about that time. And then from there, that's when I started to see the divers in the diving well, right? And I got more interested. And it was fun because diving was a little bit easier on the spine, um, initially at least. Yeah. Right.
2: When we're, as we're talking about family, and I can kind of out this a bit in our conversation, which is that you, you come from a really wonderful family, like, yeah. um, your your folks and your siblings. These are all really sweet and supportive people.
1: And yeah, they are.
2: And that, you know, we, we hear a lot of times the... You know the narrative of the familial trauma you know and I, I think I think there's oftentimes a trauma right you know we've we've all got some kind of wound to carry completely and but that my from my outsider's perspective yeah and we don't need to go into this but my I'm a that's not yours <laughs> Right. You, you have these uh, these 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 great folks in your upbringing and uh, you yeah know. I had role models yeah
1: I really did I my parents my mom was the like consummate Southern mother who (laughs) I mean literally I felt the love all the time I really did and at the same time we knew that if we got out of line we were going to get in trouble, right? Um, and but there was this effort and attention and then for my father, you know the, the Struggle there was that we saw him work really really hard and I mean Houston went through a, a lot during the 70s and the mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. and so he was having to travel all around to try to keep things going keep things afloat just because of the way the economy was going in the Houston area and so I remember um, being so excited when he would come home and uh, we, just having all these connections and I mean there is a story that each and of us, each one of us carries right mm-hmm. about what made us really persevere and what made us resilient and I don't know if you want to go into that now, but I mean, I do have those stories because I mean, I grew up a gay man in a very Southern family. And so how how to kind of connect and deal with that from a family relationship, and that's what my struggle was.
2: Let me paint a picture here too, uh-huh. because the answer to your question is, of course, I want to go Yeah, say, <laughs> um, it, You be the brakes and I'll inquire, but um, we're talking, horses and cows and you know that's the yeah yeah i mean it's my reality not only southern we're talking like ranching (laughs) you know this is that's again part of my perspective because i've actually been out there and been on some of those horses before right exactly (laughs) so i think that's an important picture to paint
1: yeah if if we can go there i would love to honestly because um, I, I talked about my father being a, a football player, right? He is a all Texas guy, you know, a big guy that you see him and you don't want to mess with him. Right. Um, and I, 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 you know, my story around this, my sexuality was, I remember when I was a very little five, six years old, knowing that something was a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at the magazines of like the, the muscle men magazines and being like, Like not wanting to be seen kind of peeking (laughs) at at that, (laughs) right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there was definitely always this sense of what is different about me? What is is wrong with me? You know, and and there's a bit of a, a shame and a guilt that every gay man can understand and deal with. And how do you overcome that through, you know, a lot of trial and error of making a lot of mistakes and then learning to love yourself in the process. But what... I think ties my family into the picture is they gave me such a solid foundation that love was at the root of it all that I knew that I never had any concern about coming out to them and them disowning me mm. even though it was a challenge and even though there was a lot of fear and even though there was years where it was very straining on our relationship I knew that we could overcome it yeah you know and I think that's such a big part of the whole process of, of raising any child, You know, no matter what the difference is or what, what the uniqueness is of that child. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but really, truly, love is at the root of, of health and well-being and goodness and everything.
2: Well, how I don't know. I'm so curious. I never, I, I didn't, just so anybody knows, I don't know this part of your narrative, you know, a lot of our... Right. Uh, we, we knew more of the personal dimensions of each other's lives earlier in our lives and right. kind of went our separate ways and so to reconnect in this way I think is um, juicy Yeah. <laughs> to say to say that you and I I mean I think uh, you saying that you know riding the same bus uh, <laughs> and I have a couple of stories that I, I want to share later too um, but look I'm a psychotherapist and I think that any narrative around our sexuality in general. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's just about being a gay man. I think it's about any person's struggle with their sexuality completely coming to terms with, how do I express that? And mm-hmm. how, how, sh- how am I told how not to express that? Right. And right. I just don't know a single person who doesn't carry with them some some degree of guilt and shame around sexuality. that's a large statement I, I mean i probably know a few people so um again you be the brakes i'll be the gas <laughs> I, i'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that um the the kind of in- interior aspect of your your story of coming out and coming to terms with your sexuality
1: yeah so i being a diver, you know, it's somewhat thought of as, oh, well, aren't a lot of divers gay? <laughs> <laughs> of course, right. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, no. I mean, there's some very successful divers that have been openly gay. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's common knowledge that there are gay people in the sport of diving. And there are definitely gay divers, right? But the majority are definitely not. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually growing up, Another huge role model in my life was my coach growing up. Um, I used to drive up to the woodlands sometimes twice a day. Wow. Go there, come back to go to school, go back up there in the afternoons, come back. Uh, because they had the best program in the city, right? My mom swore she would only drive me, even until I was like 18, because she didn't want me to be driving back and forth. Ah, got it, yeah. Um, but the funny thing was is that the first conflict that we had with like my sister was volleyball practice or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, mom, I have to make it to practice. And she was like, oh, okay, just go ahead and go. And so I did it and I made it home safely. And from that point on, I drove myself, right?
2: Autonomy. Yeah. So (laughs) she
1: did. She would help drive me up there and um, yeah, bless her. And my sisters loved me because of that, right? (laughs) All this time and energy. But I I had a huge role model in my diving coach and um, I don't fault him for what I'm about to say at all. But he made a comment to me about saying, I'm really excited that we have such a strong diver who's straight is essentially what he told me. And I put a lot of weight and pressure on me because I really looked up to him. And I I kind of decided to close back down because I think I was almost more comfortable when I was in like eighth grade that, you know what, I'm different. I'm okay with this. And then around that time, around ninth grade, 10th grade, I kind of shut back down and went into my own little closet. And I actually remember reflecting on this phase, not too terribly long after that statement, he's like, you know, you're acting kind of emotional lately, like what's going on? And I couldn't tell him and I couldn't tell anyone. And it affected me, it affected my confidence, but it ultimately brought me to a stronger place as well. So I was in my freshman year of college, I was 18, and I, um, you know, had my first experience. And it um, it I, so I went to University of Florida um, for undergrad. Oh, yeah. okay, undergrad, got it. Yeah, so I went to University of Florida undergrad. And so my freshman year of, 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 at university, um, I kind of re-acknowledged that, no, this is my truth. This is what is right for me. Uh, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. And then from there, I got scared and I went back into the closet.
2: Yeah, then you, you're really coming to terms with stuff. So yeah. It's kind of out there in the you're open. You're really, you're open, you know? Yeah,
1: you're really exposed and, and I admire those who see that and recognize it and then can move forward. Mm-hmm. I tasted it and I was like, okay, yes. But then I got nervous, right? And I got scared and I went back in. But then in my senior year, it was like, no, I can't do this. This is eating me alive, right? To, it, it was causing, I mean, depression because I wasn't allowing myself to be me. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, and, and then plus, my back injury that also happened around the same time who knows coincidence i don't think so right (laughs) yeah i'm very much a believer in the body keeps the score right that beautiful book yes it's a barometer for what's going on in our lives and so i was just carrying so much weight on my shoulders (laughs) that it was like hurting my back and so i ended up um having really struggling, like my senior year, I was struggling with my sexuality. I was struggling with what am I going to do with my life? What's my career going to be? Uh, The thing that gave me purpose and meaning was diving and it was also being taken away from me. And so I was trying to explore this next step. And because of that, I, um, I very actively started to see a therapist. I did the book, the artist's way. I'm not sure if you remember it, but it's like, like I credit that for being like truly a lifesaver for me at this point in my life. Um, and i just became very open to that which is not seen and um how much you know spirituality and the whole spiritual process really does play an amazingly important role in our ability to see the world with clarity
2: wow okay i have to uh i want to go back just a bit of time because i want to pick up on this thread um it seems freshman sophomore year of high school you're continuing to dive correct and yet you're also struggling kind of with your interior life because you are kind of concerned about shame and what's going to happen if you actually have to express this if you actually get to express this part of yourself so but the uh, the diving thing mm-hmm. i think we need to kind of continue on the diving thing for a second mm-hmm. and then we'll pick back on the intersection of junior senior year of college so the 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 diving thing say a little bit about that when you were in high school going Mm -hmm. through that process
1: yeah well diving really was my freedom of expression it was my outlet right so I'm I mean just to give you a little history of like like how intense it was for me I mean I would leave school usually around like I think it was around noon 1230 because I was able to go out to the woodlands and train um, and it, it was it, it, so. It was a really big part of my life. Uh, I, I mean, I was a state champion when I was in high school. I was a, a national champion when I was in high school. I was a. I mean, I, I say all this because it was such a huge passion of mine. Like every, I mean, this sounds somewhat OCD, but I mean, I would remember walking up the stairs and trying to be like, okay. Faster, faster, so we can build the quick twitch muscles, so that I can make this next dive that I'm going to be doing this afternoon. You know, and like, like, and I would be in the middle of school because, as I mentioned, when I was 12, doing my very first dive off of the 10 meter platform. I mean, that's 33 feet high in the air. And so, when you know you're learning a new dive that afternoon off of the 10 meter platform, it's all consuming. Oh, it's so in you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all it, over it, you. <laughs> and the amount of pressure that I carried that I had no idea because it just was mine, that was my normal, that was the natural. So diving was such a big part of my life. Um, It was also a very important social outlet for me because all the team members were my best friends and they were, I mean, loving and kind and incredible human beings and we spoke the same language and it was really fun to talk about, okay, we're gonna do this reverse uh, two and a half pike, you know. First time off three meter and, you know, and, and people, they didn't have a reference for that in my high school. So for me, diving was my outlet and it was, it's what gave me a lot of purpose and meaning. And, um, and, and it really was rich for me because those were the same people that I was the most afraid to t- to come out to, right. To tell that I was gay because of the comment that I had. Um, and honestly it's that's, that's life, right? Because you, you, have these core connections with people that you're so bound to. But sometimes when you have that binding, it's, it's, it's almost blinding of what your own uh, personality and what you can contribute to over time becomes. And I say that because uh, it was my self-expression, it was my group, it was my people. But I also felt like if I deviated from what was expected, then I would be ostracized.
2: That's And this is an important thing to note because I find myself talking to people a lot about vulnerability. And the, you know, people can go se- express their sexuality and have a night with somebody and have all kinds of freedom of how they express themselves and being naked and connected. And, mm-hmm. and they think, well, I, I do this, but... That is a real, what you're talking about is a very good um, image for the feeling tone of vulnerability. You right. actually are having to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And people, I think people neglect to understand that that's the, the definition of vulnerability is risk taking with, with uh, a person that you've deemed um, connected with you enough to be worthy Right for that kind of to share that information with, and so the, but that also sets up that conflict, right? Because the person that you are willing to take a risk with is the exact person that can hurt you the most, and so to to imagine you carrying this with you in such a sacred place for you that you're, (laughs) I I really like that um, the quick twitch muscle thing, you know how you walked (laughs) up the stairs, because it is so totalizing completely. all day long, every day, you know, your are just school is like something you're just getting by. You know? Correct. Like, yeah. It just was to pass the time. I need to do a good job because right. I need to do a good job. But right. really, I'm thinking about, you know, rehearsing these. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you've got this core friend group. That you're sharing a language with, that you're sharing time with, that you're sharing experiences with. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing about because you were like leaving school early. Uh, yeah. I was like
1: uh,
2: leaving school and uh, going to rehearse with a band. And, you know, like we were, we were, <laughs> I was good. Yeah, the police were coming to my house. Uh, and that's uh, hilarious. You know, because the neighbors were calling on us. We are making too much racket. <laughs> I knew the cop by the first name. First he'd, he'd walk up to me and go, John, I'm sorry, man. Your neighbors keep calling
1: so funny <laughs> yeah that's amazing. okay
2: so um, you got a lot of accolades through high school I mean there's a lot of awards and a lot of recognition for for diving yeah so let's let's pick up on um, you go to University of Florida right is that a, a good bridge point or is there anything that's great that's great yeah what was that like leaving leaving that community um, that you've created in the diving world of Houston
1: yeah so The diving world in the United States is still somewhat small. So, you know, I, you go on recruiting trips when you're a senior in college and you go to five different schools and you just connect with what you connect with. And I was looking for a change, right? I was looking because I knew not even consciously, but I knew that I wanted to spread my wings a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so I went away. Florida has an amazing swimming and diving program, right? It's a top five in the nation. And I had a really great experience uh at the same time being at florida was totally different in terms of the type of training that we were doing um just to give you a little back history on this like i always thought i was like i i don't do cardio i don't need to do cardio you know we'll do like some weight training we'll do lots of plyometrics and calisthenics and different things but we didn't do like just go run five miles that just wasn't in our uh, repertoire in the woodlands where i was training But that changed day one at University of Florida. They started making us run and they made us do stadiums and they made us do all sorts of different training. And honestly, I was like, I don't know if I made the right decision. This is such a totally different format of type of training. Um, It was, you know, ton of dry land work, all sorts of different stuff. And then he would make us go up onto the 10 meter platform and do like 10 of each of our dives, which was unheard of. Like that's. That's a lot. That's a lot of pounding on the wrists and the shoulders and the back and the body. But then we would take a break and not do the 10 meter. It was just a totally different type of training is what I'm trying to say. So I I felt like I was going through another challenge. I was like trying to make sense of my new life in this new place, feeling homesick, uh, coming to terms with, you know, I, I didn't want to have a girlfriend. Why is everyone pressuring me to, to date this girl you know or whatever is going on in this new found team and through all of the struggles and through all the challenges um i ended up having a really successful freshman year in diving i I placed fourth at ncaa's which is a a, was a a huge accomplishment um i then in my last couple of weeks of school had like i mentioned my first sexual encounter with uh, another guy and it happened to be with um with someone a diver and uh Uh-oh. yeah <laughs> and, and it wasn't something that I initially uh like in the first few moments welcomed I was like wait a second what this is and then I don't know what happened but mm-hmm. I decided to continue to explore right so it makes sense. and so I ended up having this internal life for this entire next couple of years and really starting to process what was going on. Um, And by doing that, I I ran the ups and downs of life and tried to use diving as my outlet for my steadiness, for my consistency. And I remember my coach in, in college talking about, you know, swimming in your own lane, swim in your own lane, swim in your own lane during competitions in life. And thank God for that phrase, because it got me through this time. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know the direction. I don't even know. But I know I'm swimming right now in my own lane. And what brings me a sense of of inspiration just brings me to life. I'm going to continue following that. And the odd thing was at the same time I was studying finance in school. And it didn't give me any inspiration. But I didn't even care because diving was enough that school was just kind of an extension of high school, I just yeah. did it because it probably was a bit grounding and balancing for me. But in my senior year, and I'm, I'm jumping, I know, but... That's fine. <laughs> in my senior you, you year... You think like I do then. It's like we yeah. can jump all over.
2: The... Sorry, folks. We're going to jump all over the But
1: place. in my senior year, when I had my back injury, mm-hmm. when that element of diving was taken away from me, then all of a sudden studying finance became completely unbearable, right? And so I decided to double major, and I, I uh, brought in education into the picture as well. So
2: let me let me say that in my own words, just so I can clarify. it. So what you're saying is that when you had an injury, it, it kind of it it then prevented the structures that were operating in your life from actually being able to work any longer. Like Correct. Finance kind of went like, "Well, hell, I can't, I can't do that." Right? Yeah, I'm not
1: gonna. I don't see myself working as an investment banker. Right. right
2: like a value system shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when it was something you could just kind of, you were just doing.
1: Yeah, so diving was a very disciplined sport, right? We were up early, early in the morning, we would go to classes, we'd get back into the pool, and then we'd do weights and do dry land and all sorts of different stuff. So it was a good, you know, five hours a day that we were practicing, truly. So it was very, very regimented. And then as soon as practice was over after we'd eat, we'd go to the study hall, we'd do schoolwork, and then I'd go home. And I didn't think at all like <laughs> about it. I just put my time and my effort and energy into the thing that I loved and then once that was over I knew I had to get through some more work so I'd do some school and then I go to the next day mm-hmm. and I mean this was a pattern and a routine constant constant um, and I didn't necessarily feel burnt out of it until towards the time I had my my injury because I wasn't able to fill that sense of, of meaning and yeah. that balance that diving gave me
2: talk, talk about your injury yeah
1: problems. so I started having pain when I was in like fifth sixth grade And then when I was in, I guess I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I did a dive and as soon as I took off the platform, I could feel this twinge in my spine and I landed and I hit the water and everything was okay in terms of hitting the water, but I had a hard time getting out of the pool. And I was like just in this phase where I didn't want to disappoint my role model, my coach. And he asked me to go do it again, focus on this, do this. And I didn't tell him that my back was hurting. So I went back up, did the dive again, and re-injured it. And ultimately, I, I, I just had a stress fracture at the time. And so, but unfortunately, that stress fracture was so intense that, I mean, I, I couldn't walk for the next three days. So I had to go you know, to the doctors, get MRIs, get uh, x-rays, and try to figure out what was going on. And sure enough, I had a, a hairline stress fracture that had been pretty severe so uh one doctor told me you're probably not going to be able to dive much longer and another doctor said you know what let's let's do some physical therapy let's get you going and let's see where it takes you so i had to take about six weeks off um, and i had just come off from having a really good summer so i was coming off i was coming back into the fall and i was in pain but i was able to learn how to manage it and uh, we were doing enough of the stretches and different physical exercises that were actually helping it That I was able to continue diving and I kept going and I kept going but all of a sudden I started to notice that I had this this issue of what is essentially sciatic pain right Um, but it was coming from my L5 S1 which is the lumbar area right on the sacrum and it progressed in what's called spondylolisthesis which is essentially a slipping of the disc and so my L5 is a good half inch slipped forward over my S1. When I was in college is when I really started to have to do some major physical therapy for it. Um, So I was going and seeing, and thank goodness, I mean, University of Florida is such a a athletic-focused school that they had every single resource available. Mm -hmm. So I was going to the therapist, I was getting it helped, worked on, and I was able to continue, and I was really doing well. I was able to thrive, and I still was having some pain, but really towards the end, the pain became so severe that I started to resent the thing that was giving me so much fulfillment, which was the diving, that I ended up having to like really take a time off and a break. And so that was in between my junior and my senior year of college. Well,
2: so you're talking about the you know, what we could just label as the physical component of what's going on. Where were you emotionally?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, in reflection, I am pretty <laughs> impressed with my perseverance and what I was going through because I guess I had been internalizing so much of this for so long, my sexuality, this injury that was going on. And I I just had this sense of drive that I was like, no, I'm not letting this slow me down. I'm not letting this stop me. And I was able to still continue to express myself through diving that I I felt like I was able to let it out. Um, but I, towards the end, I started to really emotionally have a lot of uh, uh, angst and anger and just depression towards this sport that at one point was such a meaningful mission of my life. Uh, but I had, a, I had coaches that I, I mean, my high school coach and my college coach, they were my people that I relied on for so much. And we always had really good connections. They saw me work hard. Right? They knew that I was going through stuff and so they were willing to listen to me and, and, and I had to learn that over time. Because at first I was a f- I was terrified to disappoint and to tell them that I was injured. But then over time we started to realize that it could be something that we can overcome and it was a very powerful lesson for me.
2: Um, okay, so I still, I'm, I'm thinking like almost in a linear fashion here because we've got college is coming to a close. Right. And, um, the, the, the two things that I am curious about, um, the first is in our history. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I said anything about this. Yeah. Did I ever, did I ever talk to you about our
1: fight? I don't know. Tell me did which Did I ever fight. mention? Do you remember this? I, I, I mean, where were we? Tell me more. Yes.
2: You and I were almost in a fight once. Really? Yeah.
1: I don't know if I remember yeah. this, John. Yeah.
2: We were... At some kind of like Cub Scout camp. Okay. And we were probably—I mean, I was fourth grade, right? You were third, right? Uh, and I don't know what happened. I don't remember the details of what was going on, why we had conflict. But yeah. we had conflict, right? And I—I'm I, not ai never was a big fighter, right? I, I probably—I
1: was such a big fighter. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was—I was more of a fight breaker upper than anything when I was. Um, when I was older and yeah. know, kind of young adult and adult life, but when we got into some conflict, and this is great. I mean, I actually have this memory, yeah, uh, really crisp. N- not the conflict piece, but it was one of those things where we were like, "Let's go outside," <laughs> and we were, you know, <laughs> and it was a tent, you know. And so you've got these right. like nine or ten year, however old we were, nine or ten, you know, that are that are gonna fight, and you know, we call each other out, and I don't know who did, but. So we go outside, you know, and there are like people coming out there, and you—you <laughs> you started doing gymnastics, ah. flip flops, like flipping all over the place, and I thought it was so cool. <laughs> I think it actually created a friendship for us That's because, so you, and
1: actually, I, that actually I, I do remember. Do you this. remember that? I yeah. do completely remember this.
2: I, I have no memory of the details. I just remember going. Holy shit! Yeah, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And yeah, I actually think. I I,
1: yeah, I do remember this. Yes,
2: I'll speak for me. I, I was so relieved. I mean, the fight. I just you know I don't you know whatever, but the I just felt so relieved that we didn't end up having to fight. You know, because I just you know whatever was happening, it was probably one of those things where there was social influence and people were around. But yeah, I thought it was so cool.
1: You know, it's funny that you say that because I completely forgot about this because it, it goes to the point of like rely on your strengths right? yeah. <laughs> in terms of 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 whatever a situation you are in life. And I felt like I was always a little bit smaller. You know, I was always uh, a, a little bit of an inferiority complex because I just felt like I knew that I wasn't that macho tough guy, yeah. right? So I felt like I remember this very well. And I had no idea that was with you though, John, because yes. it was, how can I showcase like my Kung Fu martial arts skills? Yeah, you
2: <laughs> killed it, man. You like,
1: And I could do a lot of flips. Like I remember, I mean, yeah. No, it was legit. Yeah. I mean,
2: the whole thing was gorgeous. <laughs> it was like
1: it was so impressive. That's so funny.
2: And I, yeah, the, my memory, you may even have more than I do, but my, my memory was just that
1: yeah, it was a camping trip. You're right. Yeah, it was exactly it was out right. The, yeah, the thing,
2: some kind of conflict happens. We're like getting squared up, and you did all your stuff. Yes. It immediately. I mean, I think I even like put my arm around you, and it was like, this is amazing.
1: <laughs> How funny. That's yeah. probably. I don't remember it initially because yeah, we didn't actually have that conflict. Because mm-hmm. I remember the like one fight you get into, I got into, right? I remember who that person was. Yeah. But now I totally do remember this yeah. completely. Yeah. How funny, John. Yeah, thank you for trips down memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: just remember the relief I felt. You know, the yeah. like, oh, cool. Like, I, you know, there, there's this really cool image. You would have
1: kicked my butt, by the way. So I, thank you uh, for... <laughs> I, I,
2: don't, I don't know. I, 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 don't, um, I saw this image. I was just sent an image from somebody that... Um, it was an art pro- project at... Um, it was an art piece at, at uh, Burning Man. And the image is these two people they're like, um, it's a metal kind of sculpture and it's almost just the structure you can see through it. And it's two people sitting back to back and mm. their, their posture is really defeated and deflated. And it looks like, um, the way couples feel when they're in a really big conflict no, and they're right. just kind of so defeated and helpless and scared and upset, but angry, you mm-hmm. know, and then inside of the sculpture are these two children that are putting their hands with each other, so the the, the adults are back to back, but their kind of inner children are really wanting to connect.
1: How beautiful, gorgeous! Yeah.
2: I saw the image, and I I think about that. You know, when here we are, two boys kind of trying to figure out the world. It's, right. I mean, just starting to try to figure exactly. out exactly where we fit. You know, where everything is, and deep inside, you know, there was this desire just to like. I don't mind just to connect, you know, yeah, but then not knowing where, where to be offended or how to deal with it, you know? Right. So, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. There was a funny, I, I, can't, I, I, when we were sitting, you know, thinking about doing this, I thought, I wonder if I ever shared with him that experience. Cause I don't have a lot of fights, you know, but that right. always stood up.
1: This is so funny. Cause I, I really do remember. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Okay. Good. I don't so, think you were the only person I did that to as well. Well, good. I mean, <laughs> I, f- I think I figured out with you at work. Yeah. You know, so I, mean, I was like, okay, good, you know, uh, I, to, I need to do this one more time. Well,
2: it, it. I think it. It. It's true though. You felt a sense of competency and, and strength in that, and yeah. and in in a moment of. I think that's really important, right? Because a moment of tension. This is a big metaphor, right? A moment of tension and conflict. Something emerges out of you that becomes. A strength that you're then able to put into the forefront. That's right. That's right. I didn't even think about that.
1: That's that's exactly, and that is my story with diving. Truly, that is how and why I was successful with diving, is because I really did see it as my outlet, because of exactly the same situation that happened not with you, but when I was uh, going into my freshman year of high school. I remember, um, (laughs) yeah, just like there was this group of guys that uh, it was the end of the eighth grade party that we were at a friend's house and i mean this is such a silly story but i um i was doing a dive and someone made some sort of comment and then i went back up to do the dive again and the mom came out and said you girls stop diving and i mean hank you know you and so and so stopped diving and all the boys started to laugh right Mm. and i remember that moment like being like i i'm going to use diving to make a mark in this world Truly, I mean, and that's kind of like that notion of like, I knew I was good at it and I, I didn't want to turn away from it. So I was going to make it my, my strength and make it something that I was going to do to, to, I mean, it was egoic, right? To show them <laughs> that I'm going to do something with my life. And, and um, yeah, and so we all have those stories that kind of propel us to that next step and that next phase to learn.
2: Yeah, and I think in our uh, as as a a kind of youngian, we talk about first half of life and second half of life. Right. First half of life, you're you are making your mark. Right. Where do you fit? Right. And what what are your strengths? Where do you get a sense of affirmation? And where where can you kind of grind in and begin to make metaphors to help you? It's a it's a process. You know, so you're then able, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this, but you're then able to, as you already said, right. Diving provides you metaphors, and it will for the rest of your life. And you can apply it to your fathering, to uh, your, your partnership, to being a professional business owner. Like that's, that I think is something very important. And you had this, um, this really, uh, I'm sure difficult, at, at, at many times like anybody else, but this really nice recipe coming together creating mm-hmm. these expe- in Quotations creating but that is that 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 is kind of cool to reflect on that moment where you f- you're 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 being opposed by somebody else and what emerges is mm-hmm. this big strength Right and then, and then so I can speak from the other side of that where I say I thought it was one of the coolest damn things I'd ever seen and Then we feel a connection from it completely and then that's affirming. It's like right. Whoa, okay. Yeah
1: um, That's funny. That's awesome.
2: Yeah so the, the other thing that I want to, I think, uh, for me that, that I'll feel a little more complete as we mm-hmm. kind of move in post, post-university, post um, I'm, I'm, I, I wonder if we did enough tending to, in particular, your father and, mm-hmm. and you in this dynamic. Yeah, that's great. And, and if, if you could speak about that, kind of what that's like for you, where you have this big football, all, yeah, all, totally. all, all Texan, you know, um, uh, r- 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 rancher fella. <laughs> Right. Um, Whom I've I've always been um, fond of.
1: Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And he's one of those, I'll shake your hand and you're going to know that I'm shaking, you know, I'm... Yeah. (laughs) He's got a presence. Yeah, Yeah.
1: precisely. Yeah. It's it's not just the size, but the thickness of his hand. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. I mean, all my sisters, uh, you know... Boyfriends were always terrified of them So, um, yeah, you know, it's great to know that my dad Took the same interest that he then had for his athletics and then parlayed that into my diving By really becoming involved like every single diving meet that I had He would be sitting there kind of writing down scores and keeping track of what's going on and and be encouraging me and really really supportive um he he did. He had a lot of excitement for me when I was starting to get into like my junior year of high school. Yeah. That's when he transitioned from going to a you know, a fatherly role to like a like a just a full round supportive like this is like I'm so proud of you role. You know, and yeah. the in diving. And so when I was even going into to college, I mean he was helping to almost negotiate, if you will. Like, like okay, let's do this. Let's look at this school. Let's look at this school. And, and that was when we started to really bond and connect. And in college, having some distance away from them gave me the ability to discover who I am, just like college is supposed to do, sure. right? And in my senior year, I wrote him, a, I don't know, like a, a five-page letter, handwritten about being gay and about coming out to him. I went home before I mailed it and I told my parents, you know, I told them and it was a big, big uh, discussion. I told my mom first and then I told my dad, but my mom at first told me not to tell my dad, but then over time she was like, no, I can't keep this a secret any longer. You have to tell your father as well. And my dad was very level headed about it, but he also felt as if there could be an opportunity to change. So he was still holding hope that it, was just a phase or something, and I also brought in the minister of the church we end up going to um, at Chapelwood. Actually,
2: who was there then? Jim
1: Jackson. Uh, yeah. And Jim Jackson couldn't have been better about my response to him. Truly, this is what honestly saved my relationship, probably with the church, <laughs> is that he he referenced that he truly believes that love is a spectrum, and that our goal in life is to. Be a loving individual, right? However, that he believed that this is the way that it's supposed to be, and this is how love is meant to be expressed. I felt like in those moments, he was setting me up for a bit of disappointment with my parents if I didn't come out to them, because he was encouraging me not to fully come out, just to say that this is what I'm going through. And I decided to tell my parents that I am gay, and that I didn't want to you know have that questionable or give them false hope that i might be you know eventually coming straight which is not how it works right in my case (laughs) um so i um yeah i i had some tension with my family at that time in life but this is the same time i I got accepted to teach for america and i was going to move to new york city and i think that they were terrified (laughs) they were completely (laughs) worried about me i mean stds they were worried about everything i mean uh you know catastrophic hate hate crimes yeah yeah and so i just reassured them that this was this was as every kid knows what's right for them (laughs) this is the way that i felt most alive and this is who i was wow yeah
2: okay Is there any other little thread in
1: that? I mean, I think that it's just, he wrote me a five-page letter back. He really did. I'm glad you returned to that, yeah. So he wrote me this five-page letter back that was the only time he's ever written me a letter, really. Like in this depth. And it was a really powerful letter. And he confessed about a couple things that he had seen when he was growing up about what it meant to be gay and how that can set you up for being ridiculed and violence- against you. And so he had a hard time with that. He was scared. He was very scared for me. Um, and we all ended up going and talking to a therapist and it was the best thing we could have done. I mean, because honestly it brought us all closer together and to this day. And I, and I say this because I grew up in a very conservative household, Mm -hmm. Southern, um, the mindset was, uh, somewhat bigoted in some ways, truly. And I not, not that they ever expressed hate in any way, but this was just the way that they were raised. Mm-hmm. My parent, my mom told me a story that they were at a dinner that one of the friends asked, said, would you rather your son bring home an African-American woman or be gay? And my father said, we should love them no matter what. And that was, my mom told me the story and like I, I got all choked up. And because as you know, the story of my dad, He 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 had to stand up to his friends who were not perhaps in that same mindset. And he really started to come into his own about this too. So Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna let that just kinda settle in for a bit. Okay. Haven't we just set the table? Yeah. Wow.
1: yeah, life is interesting.
2: Um Thanks for that. Yeah. It was a... wow. So you then it almost feels um, kinda almost foolish to go into something else after that. I feel it's so touching. Like, oh my gosh, what a what a beautiful uh,
1: narrative. Yeah, it's it's not a linear path. Yeah. Yeah. And Kind of getting into that phase where you can see through the lens of love mm-hmm. in all people in all aspects you know it's such that is our challenge in life and so how can we get to that point mm. so yeah I felt like um, having those role models have have been what has been the most important thing lesson that I've carried yeah yeah
2: okay so now we move into yeah. well so let's um, I don't know. Like time-wise, we've got yeah, we've got some time. Um, I, we won't take it to the to the you know eleven o'clock mark, of course. Where we'll oh, I'm soon. fine. Honestly, I'm fine. fine whatever. So, um, I, I guess the next phase is to say how how does all this uh, you know all these ingredients in our in our soup. Um, How does that then set you up? Because Mm -hmm. so you go to New York, you go to Teach for America, Mm -hmm. you're interested in education. Um, You know, one of the (laughs) I love what I love about this is that when we begin to scratch the surface of somebody's life, professional, romantic, I don't know, friends. These are the things that come out. These are the narratives that people carry with them and these are the narratives that we tend to um, c- Close off um, uh, Because we're scared of judgment or we're scared of um, right You know back to your uh, our, our kind of frame on around vulnerability with your your team your diving mm-hmm. team, you know Right sharing those really true parts of yourself. Yes that uh, that feel by their very nature feel dangerous because it's taking a risk. Um, now what I note what the part of your narrative that I that I'm well aware of uh, is that because of the injury, even back to the tension you know yeah. because of the injury something something became something uh, you expressed something at least started to I'm wondering when did you start to Uh, connect with yoga
1: completely yeah so this is exactly that in reflection looking back at saying okay what is that bridge and i'm going to reference this because i think it is important because diving taught me the skill of resiliency because jumping off of the 10 meter platform like i've talked about a couple times you have to have that essence of resiliency you have to have faith in yourself and so i went from you know having this injury that to me pulled the rug completely out from under me But the same skills that I developed from the sport that caused the injury ended up giving me the ability to try to step up. And so I ended up going into my first yoga class. And I tell you what, I did not like it. (laughs) My very first class, I was sweating and shaking and I felt like everyone was better than me. And I was like, I should be really good at this. Like, why? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And I ended up going home. And as I was like, I, I walked to the where I was going, as I was walking back, I had this like new feeling in my heart, my chest. I didn't know it was my heart. I didn't know what it was. But I just felt like almost tingly and a little open. So I decided to go back again. And then again. And is this again. this in New York? No, this was at first at Florida. This is okay. my okay. my senior year. And just like anything, you know, you go through your phases. And I kind of... I probably went for a couple weeks and then something happened in life and I I stopped going for a while. Got accepted to teach for America, moved to New York City. I don't think I did any exercise like the first like eight months I was there just because A, I was a school teacher on a school teacher salary on uh, really busy and trying to figure out how to like stay afloat (laughs) teaching sixth graders in the South Bronx. And so I was, I was thrown in the, the deep end, you know, and this time I didn't know how to, to dive elegantly into it. But I ended up having um, one of my very good friends who in, became my roommate, like the second semester of my first year of teaching. And she started teaching yoga. And she, so I started going to her classes to just help her. And I fell in love with it again. And I got even more into it. I started to notice I had more energy, and I started to notice my back started to feel better, and that I started bringing an element of this into my classroom, into my students, and they responded, and they responded well. And I was teaching what was called inclusion, which was special needs children who they're trying to get to become more of into a general ed population, mm. and um, so they're they're. The downside of this, the way it functioned in our classroom was it became a bit of a dumping ground for lower-performing general ed students when the goal of it is a beautiful goal, which is to take the special needs students who might be performing close to that general ed population that they can maybe eventually start to mainstream. Mm -hmm. And the whole notion and the whole goal of this is uh, just to not categorize anyone at too early of an age, right? And so I ended up having this really cool experience, trying to help f- people focus on their strengths. Uh, I had this art teacher come in and was like, you have like five kids that are phenomenal at art. You have to do something with this. I was like, okay, I will, I'll try to do something with this. And so we started doing some like weekend trips, et cetera. But all of this started to gel together when, when I started doing yoga. It just it, like opened me up into like, not just thinking of it as such a, like this rigid one-way And I fell in love with it so much that I started taking it all the time that for my summer job, I started to teach it. And the company that I was working with, they were opening up a new location in Boston and they were like, hey, we're looking for someone to help us open up a new store. Would you be at all interested? And so I literally moved. I was in Boston for a little while. I was in the Hamptons. I went to Chicago, Los Angeles, and then San Francisco. And I was not in each place for like a couple days. I was there for like two to three months in each of those facilities. Were you opening each? And I was helping them open them up. Yeah, yeah. And I got a ton of practical work experience and I got a lot of really good um, understanding of how to open up a store, how to market, how to brand manage, how to train. So it was a really powerful learning process for me for what i was going to be doing in the future
2: what was it what was the
1: the name of of it yeah what was the yoga so so the name of the space was called exhale and it's a spa actually in new york city and they offer a variety of different types of yoga mostly vinyasa Uh they offer a class called core fusion at the time now they offer many more um and yeah they were opening up with these spas and so i got really into acupuncture i got really into um all sorts of different energy healings that they were performing at the spa too. Mm-hmm. So I got exposure to a lot.
2: Moving around, opening these places up, you're you're in training. Correct. You know that's your. Uh, if we read your life backwards, yeah, we see what's beginning to. Correct. You know, it didn't make sense always at the more. time, right? <laughs> <laughs> but
1: looking back in reflection, it's a little more clear. Hindsight, yeah, twenty twenty,
2: right? Well, isn't that part of the. I talked to a lot of people who, and I, I think I said this a couple episodes ago, a lot of people who say that they, you know, I say, what advice would you give yourself when you were mm-hmm. younger? And they say, don't push so hard. Yeah. But this is kind of one of those moments where you can tell people that like, this will probably make sense. Yeah. You know, even the chaos, even the hurt, even the busted back and giving up on or, or having something transformed that really gave your life a sense of meaning and purpose yeah. for years. Right. Even that. If you can maintain a sense of um, discipline and curiosity mm-hmm. about what comes next. Because as soon as we close off to that, um, you know, my life will never be the same. That's right. Things won't ever work again. Who am I without this? I say that as a you know professional musician that had to like reconsider mm-hmm. and say my whole oh, identity completely. was wrapped up in that, and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, looking at different avenues from the time I was seven until you know twenties. That you go, holy shit! You know, who, who am I apart right. from this? But if you have that kind of that part of you that's saying, no, I'm, I have a sense of curiosity and wonder about what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. You don't fall into the.
1: I love that the yeah. mindset of curiosity, right? Yeah. Because that means you are open, yeah. You're not closing off. Yeah, right. Yeah,
2: which is, I think, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, not just to kind of plant this seed that we're going to talk about. That that's a, a definite, you know, for lack of a better term, energy or feel that I get in how mm-hmm. you run your businesses today, which is that sense of kind of openness and curiosity, as opposed to you know the kind of efficiency and right. you know, bottom line that, right. um, from a business lens, because yes, we are going to talk about business, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny to me, given all the things we've talked about so far. Um, so, okay, so where does it go from there?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, in hearing the story, it, it makes perfect sense too. I mean, why at that point in my life, I really got into like the hero's journey, right? You know, just sure. noticing <laughs> all of these stories and how to make sense of it. Yeah. But I, at the same time was feeling like, I wasn't just wanting to teach for the rest of my life. I I felt like there was another angle that I was supposed to hit from this, but I didn't know what it was. And to be honest with you, I didn't think of myself as opening up a studio. I didn't think that that was my next step. Mm. So I ended up applying to different graduate schools and I ended up applying to business school here in Houston at Rice. And all signs pointed yes. And I did, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to open up a store, but if I do, I need to get a little bit more business experience. And I I have a friend that laughed at me. She's like, you know, most people go to graduate school because they have like a passion for it. You're going because you don't think you're very good at it. (laughs) I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that's, there's some truth to that. I feel like it's important for me to, and this is a fault of mine too, right? To make sure I have the full picture together before I sometimes execute. <laughs> um, but I ended up going with, uh, I ended up going to business school and I have to tell you, it was not the easiest first year. In fact, I was questioning if I had made the right decision. And it was in 2007 and then come second semester 2008 is when like the economy started to collapse. And in the yeah. fall of 2008, I took this entrepreneurial class and it was the first time that in business school I'd felt really energized and pumped. But at the same time, because the economy was completely collapsed, it, it was a time that a lot of our classmates were feeling a little uncertain about, like, do I have a job at the end of this? You know, the year prior, all these people had, had already, I mean, the acceptance job acceptances had, were like above 75% and ours was less than 50% or something at this point. But our professor in this class told us, he said, This next jump of your life is a very, very important path of your career. Don't just take any job. Find something that really you want to do, that you have a passion for, because I want you to define your role in this world. And he said this word, define your role in this world. And at that moment, it just, all the fears and all the doubts and everything that I had been like trying to talk myself out of perhaps opening up my own studio, it just went away. And I said, I don't know if I'm gonna open up a studio, but if I do, it's gonna be called Define. And so that next week I started talking to him and I said, look, this is what I'm thinking. And so he encouraged me to do an independent study with him. So in that second year of business school, I did a whole independent study. And I compare that to my like diving coach, like being my mentor, being my guide to help me feel like I could jump off of the platform and, and safely land and do the dive well. And he really did. Um, he's an amazing guy. His name is Al Napier from, from Rice University and I owe so much to him. Um, he helped me like devise and plan and he gave me confidence and help me to think about how to structure it in a way that it makes sense so that I'm not having to be grinding at this every single day. No, I've made lots of mistakes in the, since then, but yeah, we opened up in 2009 uh, in October to at nine years and well, we've, we've got a lot of stores now. I mean, c- comparative to that first store that we opened with. So it's been a, it's been a process I remember when it opened. Yeah.
2: It was because it was the one over off of um, San Felipe. Right? That's right. Yeah, Tanglewood. <laughs> I remember it. And I thought, um, you know, we, uh, you and I hadn't seen each other or spoken in uh, years, years right. and years, you know. Right. And I just knew from afar. I just remember driving by that store going, man, I am so stoked for him. Oh, thank That's you. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, who knew um, it would be be growing and growing and growing and continue to grow. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'm sure I will have already said this in the intro piece, but the thing I read that really, uh, I'll say it for you, which is 23 stores nationwide and one in Dubai. Wow.
1: Yeah, it, we had a big couple of years of growth. Um, and uh, we can talk about this too, but I mean, like life is not linear and neither is business growth. Right
2: and quickly
1: yeah. who opened the Dubai
2: store? so yeah <laughs> I want to I give a shout out yes
1: <laughs> so the let me tell you the full story, so the full story is that there was this couple that fell in love with our method in Houston. Mm-hmm. They moved to Dubai, and then they started talking to their friends who also happened to be from Texas when they were living in Dubai, and it just so happened that there that couple was another cr- group of people that rode the school bus with us. <laughs> Mo and Subi Kadari, right? And um, we ended up having some conversations and really saying, let's do this. Yeah, I think it's a great fit. The market's ready for it.
2: So, Muhammad and Suvi are both involved. They're in the both store. involved
1: because they're both great guys and they're business yeah, guys and they're yeah. intelligent. And um, um, Mo's wife, Laura, is the one who runs the store and she's phenomenal. I mean, we talk about like an organized like a thoughtful, mindful, and uh, strategic in terms of their planning, mm-hmm. they're great. It's it's so wonderful doing business and work with people that can see the big picture and then execute on the fine-tuning items.
2: I was over their house all the time. Brilliantly, they ate dinner at like 4.30 right. in the afternoon. Right. So I would go down and get this amazing traditional dinner, uh, which were... Flavors I'd never experienced. You know, I'd eat there at four thirty, and then back at my house at seven. And my mother is a wonderful cook, and so we we would (laughs) double dinners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, it's good. uh, It's good to kind of bring in some people. Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah, and that's how. I mean, Define has been much of an organic growth. Yeah. people that were clients of ours that were, that were moving and wanted to open up another location, instructors of ours that were moving that opened up a location, and that's how it started. And so we were able to really keep in with our, our core components and our great, strong people. And I mean, from a business perspective, as you grow, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that go with it, keeping things consistent. And as you mentioned too, making sure that we don't lose that, that expressive innovation and that openness, but at the same time, uh, not having too much room that there's not enough structure that it right. collapses. So finding that balance. And I think that's a huge, a huge theme in my entire life is balance.
2: So you you start this one store and one location in, in Houston. And I, I, I don't know, I guess, where, where do we go from there? Because I, I really think kind of defining terms and talking mm-hmm. about What has recently happened, which is you got another graduate degree and have kind of incorporated, speaking of structure, right? Put a structure to spirituality Mm -hmm. or kind of a spiritually grounded business, and um, and integrating your previous graduate work with an Mm -hmm. MBA, and uh, um, so in business, so these kinds of worlds, business and I mean, that's the term, right? As we're calling it spiritually informed business. How do you you phrase that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's all about like, I must have had the seven year itch because we had been open up for about seven years and I started to figure out, you know, what is our, what is my next step? What am I going to do? I knew what I was good at, which was the teaching of the classes, the client interaction, um, the staff interaction. I felt like I was really good at building teams. But at the same time, as we grow and my presence isn't there, that became a huge challenge. So how can I create the foundation and the culture that that mimics what I think is really important for the foundation of what our company at Define represented? So I went back to school and I'm uh, I was like looking through the courses that I was gonna be taking and every single one of them, I was like, yes, yes, I wanna take this, I wanna take this. (laughs) And it was the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology through University of Pennsylvania. And the last semester, they have this entire class called Positive Organizational Scholarship. But all the classes prior to that, the Foundations of Positive Psychology, Positive Interventions, um, even all the statistics that we had to take through this program was building us up to be able to take whatever it is that we were putting as our focus and being able to launch it. And so I wrote my thesis, my capstone on the spiritual business. And the whole concept is businesses have an opportunity to help bring life, not only to the employees, not only the communities, but to the world, if done correctly. And that idea of spirituality fits into this because I believe Practices like yoga, practices like meditation and mindfulness, and even other things in the positive psychology world called appreciative inquiry really help to bring a sense of life in a spiritual way to individuals and the whole organization. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the world of business to be a positive change versus you know how it's viewed in modern time as uh, sometimes closed off greedy dog-eat-dog uh, dog kind of world
2: well i I want to extend that even a little bit more because i want to talk about what it's not mm-hmm. so you know, what would be the kind of or, or business orientation that a, a spiritual business is trying to get out of or get away from mm-hmm. what, what 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 how do you say like this is what i don't want to be
1: yeah so you know a top-down approach in any type of organization it, it it works in certain functions, but in a lot of ways, it's perceived as like feedback that means you must change to this, you must change to this in order for us to hit this bottom line, right? And instead, why don't we bring in individuals what their strengths are? Yes, we have to work with the parameters of the organization to get the job done, but let's infuse a sense of meaning and purpose into their career and align that with what the purpose is of the organization so that we all can come together and fulfill that. And so, uh, and research shows that it also affects the bottom line in a positive way. However, you know, that's not the only thing that the business is concerned about. Um, there's a great book, Conscious Capitalism, by um, Raj Sisodia, and essentially, the, and also uh, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods. And you're looking at it to say, Just like the human body needs fuel, needs uh, rest, needs the energy to function, it's done so through the red blood cells process. But we're not just thinking about red blood cells in our health and well-being. So we can't just think about the profits as being that which fuels the organization. Even though it is an extremely important part of it, we must look at the business to say all the factors— employee well-being um you know communication that's occurring between all the different departments um how can we make sure that our marketing and our branding is being done in an effective yet very responsible way all in an effort to make sure that the bottom line is benefiting and i think that you know even though millennials get sometimes a bad rap right for uh, in the modern workplace i think millennials are going to be the Best generation to really take this message and then take it to the next level because they care about spirituality. They really do uh, thrive on that sense of community and, and and doing good for this world. So I'm really excited about what foundations we can create from for businesses, so that then more than just Define, but other organizations can also take that and really incorporate into better better doing good for you know better worlds.
2: You're I'm. S- I just have, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. What I just thought about is that, you know, where did I say this? Um, well, I don't know how I want to get into this, but basically what we've got is this kind of um, people in the upper levels that are looking down going, well, millennials, they're really uh, problematic, you know, they don't, they don't want to work, you know, they don't want to. Well, actually, it's like your, your business isn't supporting their needs, Correct. which are relational Connected mm-hmm. This um, a, appreciative inquiry, I want to circle up on that. Great. To me, the, the two things in your thesis that I know you ground yourself in a lot are the PERMA, which we'll define, mm-hmm. but appreciative inquiry as a really big cornerstone of how you run your business. And so the the unfortunate thing is that what we're saying is that, I think, is that the models of business aren't serving millennials. And so then what happens is that... Uh, and this is a such a generalization, but somebody who's looking to have um, certain affirmations and connections and community orientations in their workspace. Mm-hmm. If the business doesn't have it, they're not going to stay there. And yet the people who are high up then say, oh, these, you know, kids, what the hell are they doing? Well, let's get hit to that pattern, which is that the young generation is the one that's trying to infuse yeah. life. That's right. So um, I'm glad you said that. that's that's a really cool. I think we can really fall into that. Kind of blame the millennial a lot, <laughs> right. but actually, what we need to do is learn from the millennial.
1: Yeah, and I can see you're doing that. <laughs> well, I mean, just from the experience I have, like with running my business, because there's a ton of millennials that are uh, employed by, sure. by through Define.
2: And let's just say, because you're right on the edge, right? I mean, are you? I'm I'm not a
1: millennial. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think what is the cutoff? 80s. Was oh, it right? Something. They
2: oh, were kind of, kind of a little deeper into I'm, yeah. non-millennial. I'm, a non, I'm not, <laughs> okay. I'm, yeah. 78, 79? Yeah, yeah,
1: 79, I was, yeah, yeah, I was born in 79. And so I am like uh, definitely not a millennial. However, we are in that cusp where, you know, you and I were in high school when like internet really started to come out. Yeah. So we got some experience with it when we were in school, but we didn't grow up with no, all I the various
2: computer until I was like 19 I right mean like a cell phone first time I had one I, I was 19 yeah. 20. yeah
1: exactly exactly yeah so you know to me there's this really important term that uh, that comes about in, in all of this and I learned this through from school uh, through positive psychology but it's meliorism yeah. and it's it's a it's a word that comes from like in Spanish uh, Mejor, like feeling better, Better, doing better, right? And the notion of meliorism is what can we put our efforts towards through effort to do better? And so it's the whole idea of like happiness is a choice. Well, yes, but how do I choose to be happy? Well, you choose to be happy by choosing the better option in a situation. And I think business could benefit from this mindset because there's constructive which what I would say is the meliorism that is fighting against something and meliorism that is bringing good into something and business has to do businesses have to do both so let me give you like an example Mm -hmm. Um, fighting against something let's say the human body has cancer right meliorism a, a mitigative melioristic approach would be to fight the cancer with chemotherapy so we're fighting against the cancer in an effort to get healthy, to fight with chemotherapy. A, a more of a, you know, a, a, a different, what is called a green cape approach to meliorism would be, well, let's, instead of fighting it, let's let's bring in a healthy diet. Let's bring in a healthy sense of, uh, of lifestyle and healthy emotions. So it's, it's going about it from this approach. But essentially, balanced meliorism is to ask yourself Do I need to fight or do I need to bring in the good? And that brings in this concept of having a balanced as well as reversible cape type thinking. And this is a big concept because in every situation, we need to come from a place of spiritual connected wholeness of what is going to be best for this organization, what is going to be best, which is including all the different stakeholders, not just the top down approach, but the employees, the um, investors, the community, you know, the world as a whole. and then looking at how can I make a decision that makes it connected to what is best for the whole? And sometimes it is fighting against, sometimes it's bringing in something mm-hmm. else. And, and it's a very large theory, but at the same time, it does simplify things in a lot of ways. And so thinking about it from a very practical perspective, if I'm in my business and i'm I'm trying to make a decision on, you know, am I going to spend money on bringing in this new, um a ceo on board right well let's think about this does that limit the financial uh, abilities for me to pay certain staff members who i know that deserve this does that mitigate the ability for me to invest more money into marketing or whatever it is well let's factor in all the different potential aspects of what that business decision is going to be and look at it so that I can make the melioristic approach of what is going to make our organization better. And sometimes that does mean that I bring in that CEO and I have to explain to people why they're not getting a raise. Because this is the career and the future for all of us. And therefore, this is going to benefit you in this way in the long term.
2: Well, that's great. I couldn't help but think of the, the, this this podcast. There's been a theme of duality. And that, yes. That really like clicks right there the, the so we're talking about e- even down to the real-time decision-making yes you're saying
1: the um, non-dualistic approach yes right
2: yeah like the so the, the term that I've, I taught a class on the body and consciousness and I the, the term I've been using is both andist mm. and, and I, I define that and I'll, I, I'll look it up and say it in the intro but this is a both andist approach exactly you know where we're, we're we're conscious of a dual structure, but we're holding them both simultaneously. Yes, and talking about the organization or the organism and what's best in the long run.
1: Oh, I'm so glad someone gets it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I really, yeah, thank you. I really like that. Yeah, because that's exactly it. And I write a whole thing on on love and this non-duality, yeah, because essentially that's what it com- boils down to as well. And even thinking of of the business process as loving clients, loving employees, loving the product, loving the communities that we're in, and how can we bring that non-dualistic mindset? Yeah. into all of our decisions. And so utilizing yoga and, mi- and meditation and mindfulness as tools to help to infuse that into an organization to then allow there to be an awareness because that's what it boils down to. It boils down to an awareness that our actions have consequences and we want it to be connected to that main connection of, of, of non-dual love.
2: Yeah, and I, I guess the thing that occurs to me there is that you know, I'm thinking about mindfulness and yoga in a business. You know, it doesn't mean that ex- exclusively. Doesn't mean that you're like doing a meeting while you're on your mats and stretching. And I think that we talk about a yoga in business. You know, you, the postures are one aspect of a very large eight-limbed philosophy, and so exactly. that, you know, it's kind of limiting when somebody says yoga. The, what we Westerners tend to think of is exercise, is not right? Yoga, right? You know, and the yoga is a it's a way of being completely. And, and so you've really kind of put that into your business structure. That's right. So the, what I want to um, define for a second is positive psychology for yeah. anybody who doesn't know that.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, well-being is something that's been the quest for I mean, centuries, right? Forever. Humans have a desire to live healthier, better, more vibrant lives. And positive psychology has essentially looked at traditional psychology to say, this has served us really well. It's given us tons of research, tons of information. The founder was Martin Seligman, and he was the president of the American Psychological Association. And he, he did all of his research on depression and looking at how uh, learned helplessness can really mm-hmm. influence depression and, and and he did his research on, on animals and then took it into this really groundbreaking research into how to treat depression because unfortunately depression is not getting smaller right it's yeah. although people's incomes have grown although according to like statistics sure. you know um, looking at world poverty world starvation everything is technically better than it used to be but why is quantitative right exactly exactly but why then is depression just becoming the common right why are so many people feeling depressed and it really does come down to this learned helplessness that no matter how much we try to change or do something that we just learn a sense of helplessness so we shut down Mm -hmm. and so he started to say well let's take psychology and just look at it from a slightly different lens let's see what what's going well, what's good in our lives. And let's try to put a bit of an understanding there. And I love it because, you know, like even Aristotle talks about these two terms, hedonia and eudaimonia, right? The hedonia, the hedonic uh, uh, treadmill that we can often get on is, you know, I need this job so that I'll have this house, so I'll get this, which so I'll is do what, this. We get the term hedonism. Yeah. Right? This is Yeah. And so looking at how that's, tends to be the common approach towards well-being is it becomes a very much hedonistic approach of pleasure, right? But really, research is showing and that that's not what's serving us. In fact, it's the eudaimonia, and that represents well-being. And why hasn't this really been, you know, really taken on by science is because there wasn't really a construct for science to really like latch on to which is what PERMA is that he created. So he's created, and it started off as a three-part structure, and now it's the the P-E-R-M-A, five-part structure. And PERMA stands for Positive Emotions, Engagement, Relationships, Meaning, and Accomplishment. And so we look at that, and the essential goal is to say, how can we increase these different five sectors of life? How can we create more positive emotions? And how can we bring in little, little positive intentions into our lives? Something as simple as listening to music, but making it intentional that if I'm not having such a strong day right now, what is a music that I know I can connect with for the next five, 10 minutes that I know will be a little boost to me that then can maybe set me up for making the next, the next melioristic approach decision mm-hmm. that's next better. So it's, it's looking at it from that lens, but it's not negating at all all the other side of it and so that's what i love about it it believes that it's the, you know the positive and the negative are both parts of the same coin it's about looking at it and just Great. rebalancing what has traditionally been focused on
2: yes engagement
1: engagement yeah what's that so engagement that's a that's a really i mean they're all very important
2: i want to go through them yeah <laughs> well okay
1: well, we can we can i mean positive emotions is all what you would expect, but it's looking at things like gratitude and love and identifying with the, the things that really do give us purpose and meaning in life. Yeah. Engagement is finding something that really does capture our attention to the point where we get into a state of flow, right? So, if um, Chick sent Mihai, who's another major father of the positive psychology movement, his book on flow, it's all about saying, it's not just about like haphazardly coming upon it. It's about putting in the time, the effort, the dedication that you ultimately get into a state of flow because of all the just like excitement energy that you've put into building it. Yeah. The relationships, it's it's about looking at all the different relationships that we have in our lives and how can we bring a sense of positivity into it? And it doesn't just happen on its own. We have to intentionally bring a sense of positivity into it? How can I do something for my partner that uh, really does communicate to him how much I see him, how much I value him? Um, something as simple as uh, writing a little note, right? Finding out what that person does connect with. Is it, I mean, it, not necessarily like the languages of love, right? Which is a whole nother study, but it's like looking at really what does Speak or speak to that person and, and spike interest in that individual
2: well, you're talking about a, a, a real gift of engagement is Not about the material and this is a great metaphor. It's not about what I give you It's about the symbol that I think of you. Yes, and you matter to me and that that's you know I give somebody a watch that's six grand and they're like great. Okay, I got a watch but if I give them something that is a symbol of our relationship that only we may understand and know that's worth its in gold you know compared to something that's actually immaterial. that's exactly it yeah.
1: and this is another thing about I think Millennials that's really interesting is because they're already showing that they're much more interested in that aspect of relationship building and engagement versus the material aspects and so I do see this really beautiful shift that's happening that could potentially be very balancing yeah yeah um, so the, the M is meaning and it's kind of what I've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Like diving gave me a really good sense of purpose and meaning. Um, define has given me a, a really strong purpose and meaning. Um, it, it can vary for individuals obviously, but for me, something that is then an idea that can actually be put into action is how I derive meaning. Yeah. So it's the implementation and also then the reception from a, a client Instructor interaction and
2: the metaphor that's created. Yeah, right? exactly. You, can, you know that that meaning piece is metaphor Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, and the final one is accomplishments and this is the one that people actually have the hardest time with not uh, Anyone but actually people in positive psychology they're like really do we we need to accomplish stuff to have well-being and so the, the mindset, and I actually the, I can relate to this for me personally too, is that when we do get into that state of flow and when we do produce, once we're able to create some form of an accomplishment, it then enhances the, the essence of meaning. and in, it enhances our well-being because we're accomplishing what we actually set out to strive for. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're not being mindfully aware of what we're striving for. You know, that's where all these other facets do make us focus on what really does give us a sense of purpose. What really is the eudaimonic approach to well-being versus the hedonic approach to well-being. And, and, yeah. <laughs> really and how can I like then yeah. utilize this as to say, look, I accomplished this. And um, I, I completely can relate to this. I think yeah. we can all can.
2: So, and, and um, the... As far as terms to define, appreciative inquiry. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about that a bit. I love this. So David Cooper writer came and spoke to our class and he is out of Case Western University. And essentially it's this form of bringing people together, thinking truly of business as a living organism. How can I bring people in, appreciate them, show that we appreciate them, show that we appreciate their feedback, their input, and also inquire Where did you think, like where in the past has our business been the very best? What did we succeed with? What did we showcase as our strength as an organization? And then how can you fit into this picture, right? So we're appreciating them and we're inquiring with them so that as a whole unit, we can start to move the organization in the direction that we wanna go. Mm -hmm. Versus it just being a top-down approach you do this, you do this, you do this, and et cetera, how can we make it into a buy-in process? Not to manipulate, but so that individuals can show up in work and receive more PERMA in their life, in their job. Because I'm pretty confident that people experience the least amount of PERMA oftentimes in their job. I mean, research looks at saying, you know, the majority of us spend the majority of our lives working, right? The, uh, the waking hours, mm-hmm. most of us are at work majority of the time. And if that element is not fulfilling us, then it's much more challenging to have full, well-rounded well-being. So how can we bring that into the picture to help organizations be a part of helping that recipe to build a healthier community and healthier society?
2: Make this concrete. like we, yeah. What are the stories that come to mind about how this inaction action? Does anything come to
1: mind? Yeah. So, I mean, even thinking about it from like a defined perspective, right? As we grow and we're, we're, we're experiencing various challenges, bringing people in for like a little meeting, a summit, it can be two people. It could be 10. It can be 3,000. However many people you want to have, you can have people come in and literally just sit there and ask a couple of questions in small groups. I want you to think about when was defined at its very best. Like what? actions were we taken what events were going on what 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 do you remember about it and then have the people just kind of talk about it and then perhaps in smaller groups or in a larger group setting you could have people share from there you can ask questions like okay great now what strengths do you represent that also fit with how this company can fulfill what you think is its pure mission its Mm -hmm. true mission and so then people can kind of discuss and come to terms with that And then we ultimately look at saying, how can we as an organization, you know, fulfill what our mission is, which is for Define, it's to educate people on becoming their best. How can I help expand what that means to schools or to teachers or to um, doctors or attorneys, you know, which maybe we're not doing, we're just focusing solely on our standalone stores right now how can i then bring this into other groups well guess what i'm sure some of our staff members some of which are former attorneys might be able to have some input into that Mm. and then we could start to fulfill missions in other new ways
2: yeah oh god this is cool man i um what else i'm aware of time what what little thread is
1: yeah, I think so. I think for me, the the reason why I called it the spiritual business is because the Latin root for spirit is to breathe. And it's all about, you know, in yoga, as we were just talking about, we think of it as physical postures. Yeah, Yoga, I mean mind-body connection is focused, centered on the breath, right? So the different, the eight limbs of yoga, you know, the the third one, and really truly in like ascending like importance, the third is the asana. Once we get the asanas down, then we're really starting to understand how to bring in the breath, the pranayama, which is breathing. So how can we infuse organizations with breath? How can we infuse individuals with breath? Not only so that they're healthier and happier and have a higher well-being, but so that they can have more of an essence of clarity on really truly eventually reaching to the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth branch of yoga, which is centered around, you know the mindfulness and that sense of enlightenment and that sense of openness and expansion. Um, I, I think that nature gives us a lot of beautiful examples because you think about like the expansion and the contraction. every day of life, sun and moon, right? The inhale, the exhale that we take every single second or four, four or five seconds of life, the winter and the summer. Every organization needs that same opening and closing, expanding and contracting in order for it to fulfill its mission. So we have to learn how to breathe life and energy into the individuals, into the organization so that we can breathe life and breath into the communities so that we can increase more well-being.
2: I'm glad you actually brought that in because that is one thing when you wrote about um, how extending that right, how the out breath is is getting rid of mm-hmm. what has been useful and what I don't need any longer. And right. The in breath is kind of bringing in the new and what I will be fueled by. Mm-hmm. And it, my fantasy was that you actually use that in meetings to understand what's our purpose in this meeting. Well, we're getting rid of shit. Or, yeah. In this one, we're taking stuff on, us, trying to it's creativity right. and generativity. Um, I, I really like that. Yes. Yeah. you know, because as I was reading your stuff, I was thinking not only as somebody who runs a business, um, and, and how I would like to run my business, and that to me makes so much sense to orient meetings, exchanges, uh, you know, seasons in your in your business. To that end you know we're in a, we're in a new development stage versus uh we're getting rid of the old stage yes i love that
1: yeah i think and i think there's a lot of stress and anxiety around i mean times of uncertainty like do i have a job or you know whatever the stress might be in any type of organization and if we can adopt the mindset that as we expand we're bringing in the new but on the moments of contraction it's not a bad thing always. Right. I'm not saying that we're contracting like firing people because there would have to be a mindful process into that too. But in those moments of testing and challenging, just like the body gets stronger in those moments of constriction, the organization gets stronger in those moments of constriction too. So how can we keep everyone on this, the riding the waves, surfing the waves so that they stay focused, swimming in their own lane, right? Staying focused on that process so that we can continue... Uh, accomplishing. So I see the business process as super spiritual. And I know that our best performing stores also see it as the similar in a similar way. Mm -hmm. They treat clients as they're like they're sacred. They treat the space as this as sacred space. They try their best to breathe life into individuals and into the community and their staff members every single day.
2: When I was an uh, undergraduate, it makes me think of a story that in social psychology we probably all encountered if we took that class. It, apparently, there was a, a city block in New York that uh, an area of town with ton of graffiti, ton of crime. Correct. Yeah, I remember. Really... They, they, whoever they are, moved in and got rid of the graffiti, put plants, beautified the area, and crime went down to almost nothing Right. because of that. Right. So I just think, like... What if, you know, what if somebody did have that kind of discipline and attention and consideration for themselves and their community?
1: That's right. And I think this is where positive psychology is very interesting because it is just simply saying, okay, great. Now let's focus on this positive just for a little bit. And if, over time, if we get too far in one direction, then we're not accomplishing what we're meant to do, which is balanced. So we have to think about both. And I think that that's, uh, that's why I say define your balance is a huge part of our mission as well.
2: So, what's in store for Define? What do you, what you got going on?
1: Yeah, so you know we are uh, opening up a couple new locations, but just like everything with expansion and contraction, <laughs> my mission right now is we just went through an expansion phase. It's time for us to take a little moment to, you know, re-ground ourselves. Get our footing so that we can understand like what is working what's not working because there's definitely that process in anything um and, and this past year was a really challenging year for us i mean we've had all sorts of stuff going on um i was finishing school we were dealing with um you know like how what's the most effective way to do our marketing all the different strategy approaches because the exercise industry has gone bonkers right it's all over the place And, um, and I'm very lucky and happy that we're celebrating our ninth anniversary, but it's a totally different business than it was nine years ago. So we are taking a moment to reevaluate, seeing what's going to make us continue to aim towards the mission that we're wanting to accomplish, because quality is always going to be the most important thing for me. Yeah.
2: Good. Well, my, my, again, my fantasy was how proud and excited I would be to work in an organization like yours with a CEO who is so contemplative and considerate for both his body, his relationships, and his business.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I make lots of mistakes, you know? Sure. And, but I, I want to make sure that I reflect throughout the whole process because it's, it is, yeah, there's no quote unquote, success that is meaningful enough if it's destroying anything else. Yeah. And so for me, it's about how can we ground ourselves, build ourselves to be able to really help our clients have the best life possible. And that gives me so much perma and it gives our employees and our staff so much that um, if if we stopped now growing, because that's where we were, I mean, I would be completely okay with that. I, I do have to, think about a lot of factors being a business owner and being a CEO and but at the same time thinking about how our product is influencing for the positive in this world so
2: well, I am grateful for your time
3: thank you John this is
1: I...
2: so lovely to get to know you uh in such a new way yeah. in a different way yeah it's thanks unreal. for spending the time Thank you.
1: And thank you for bringing this to so many people. So yeah. congratulations to you. It's weird that I've not been talking to you about all you're up to. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Strange things happen when you hit the ground running. Moss don't grow on a runaway train Eyes roll back with the boxcar burning in the horn rim Glasses in a pump of dog plane. Hair on fire on a ricochet ball Ain't no wizard gonna show me my role. It's cards and dice it's has been on my ass I'm trying to catch your weight knee deep in the dust bowl In the dust bowl knee deep in the dust bowl. Cigarette